0: It's the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Support for this podcast comes from the first one with DJ Khaled, a new podcast
0: only available on Amazon Music.
3: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com Today, Bengals fans, Bengals.com's Jeff Hobson gives us an inside look at the private meeting that happened between players and coaches. He got comments from a few players and coaches reflecting on the meeting that the Bengals held to talk about the Black Experience in America talk about their feelings about what's going on right now. So we will talk about some of the interesting bits that came out of that article from Jeff Hobson to start the show. We'll also hit on some news that could have players returning to Paul Brown Stadium, a select number of players anyway. Then we'll take a look at the Dalvin Cook scenario happening in Minnesota, how that reflects what could happen with the Bengals and Joe Mixon, although we continue not to hear those whispers from the Mixon camp. There are a lot of parallels between these two players worth talking about that as it could play out in Cincinnati as well. Finally, James will catch you up on what some prominent Bengals legends have said following Ken Riley's death and a passionate plea, especially from Willie Anderson for the Bengals to start doing a little bit more to recognize their history. And I think James, the most interesting part about that, and I'll listen to what you say about it because I won't be here for that part of the show, is the culture that came from paul brown and and you you see what ken riley said you know paul brown wanted a team that would win paul brown wanted superstar play without the superstar personality and i think that reflects in the way that a lot of guys coming into the organization and ken riley was one of the original players came up and and you know he talks about he's not a big self-promoter so Curious to hear what you have to say on that later. We'll get there for segment three of the show, but we're going to start with the Bengals.com piece and the latest news from Tom Pellicero about players coming back to the NFL. James, let's start with the Bengals team meeting that they held to talk about the black experience in America. The Jeff Hobson piece emphasizes the ability for the players to talk about their feelings, in an open setting, there wasn't any fighting about it. It sounds like the players were very supportive of one another. The coaches got to open up about some things that maybe they hadn't thought about for a long time. I thought that it was a powerful piece. I think that it shows the kind of relationships that are building in that locker room. What were your takeaways?
1: First off, I think it says a lot about Zach Taylor and his willingness to confront and I know he had conversations long before the Bengals issued a statement last Saturday about racial injustice. He had conversations with players um, and really attacked this and and didn't shy away from it. And I think that that is a key ingredient here because when you look at the the structure of a a football team and it's going to be 53 guys along with 10 practice squad players that need to be, Together as one, it's important when you're talking about an issue like this that is much bigger than football, that is uh, an American issue, right? It's a United States issue. It is not an NFL issue necessarily, but it impacts our lives day to day. And so for them to be in lockstep, on the same page, confronting it, and, and the coaching staff being willing to, one, address tough issues, two, listen. And let players speak whether you're black, white, regardless of your, your skin color. I think it was uh, important. So that, that was my biggest takeaway is the fact that Zach Taylor, we're talking about a, a young coach, an inexperienced coach is willing to confront a, a big issue that could certainly be divisive. And instead, they're using it to bring themselves together.
3: And I really liked some of the quotes from the players that, that kind of show that togetherness, that spirit of brotherhood that you'd like to see in cohesive NFL locker rooms. Ryan Glasgow talked about, from his perspective, he didn't understand what was going on is essentially what he said. He said it was pretty eye-opening. I'm thankful for the stories they've shared over the last few days and That combined with the Michael Jordan quote, I feel like it was a great conversation. The eye-opening thing was everyone's willingness to see that there's a problem and trying to figure out ways to solve it. He also talked about the requirement for collaboration between all peoples to overcome the issue of racism in America. Those things kind of come together to form both sides of the story, right? And we don't know what everyone else's experience was in that room, but we do have those two quotes that show that it was a productive meeting, people were solution oriented, they were listening. On top of that, we know there's a focus on what they could do locally. Sean Williams talking about working with kids, Michael Jordan talking about working with kids. So it sounds like the Bengals might have some tangible plans for how they plan to make a an impact on the Cincinnati community as well.
1: They presented a united front and it coincides with their statement on Saturday, where they were going to and did pledge $250,000 to community engagement and players, coaches and and front office members. Those are going to be the people that help decide where that money is given and where it goes. So I I think it was important to present this united front. Let's uh, continue with the the other news, uh, noteworthy news of the day, Jake, and players for all NFL teams could potentially return to team facilities later this month. According to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, now it hasn't been agreed upon, and it would be limited, and this isn't going to be a minicamp, it hasn't been agreed upon by the NFLPA, but if they're able to find an agreement, rookies like Joe Burrow and T. Higgins, along with free agents like Trey Williams and DJ Reader and others uh, th- that sign this offseason, they will be able to come in and do their physicals and do the necessary administrative steps to make sure they're ready to go for the season.
3: And it sounds like the NFL has come up with a protocol that includes physical distancing, which when you're talking about football players, they're going to be hitting each other. I I don't know how that all works out, but they talk about physical distancing (laughs) in the locker room, uh, protocols for equipment cleaning, disinfecting, food services, all this stuff that, that the NFL has laid out to try to get their players back into facilities and get this NFL season going on time. Coming up next, we will dive into what's going on with Dalvin Cook up in Minneapolis and how that might affect the Bengals' negotiations with Joe Mixon. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Convenient self-service, good prices, you're going to get great selection if you do your own vehicle maintenance and you want to get that brand selection that maybe your local auto parts store doesn't carry and you want to get consistent pricing, go check it out, rockauto.com.
1: Rock Auto ships auto parts and body parts from over 300 manufacturers to customers' doors worldwide. So whether it's headlights, you know how you get that that really cloudy Look on your headlights you need to replace those because the solvents that they sell don't work you can get them from rock auto if you can't find them elsewhere get them from rock auto ship directly to your door extremely convenient and the best prices in the industry
3: go to rockauto.com right now to see all the parts available for your car or truck know a lot of you guys drive those pickups right locked on in there how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need
0: all the way up to a 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it.
1: Let's keep things rolling here on the Locked On Bengals podcast, and let's discuss something that we've talked about a decent amount here on the pod. And Jake, it's running backs, specifically Joe Mixon, He's entering the final year of his rookie contract, as is fellow 2017 draftee Dalvin Cook. The Bengals actually traded back with the Vikings, so Minnesota could select Dalvin Cook back in 2017. And now Cook reportedly willing to hold out and going to hold out as long as it takes until he gets a reasonable contract extension offer, uh, according to multiple reports. But what do you think about this, uh, this idea that Dalvin Cook could potentially hold out unless he gets a new deal.
3: I mean, Dalvin Cook is a a good football player and uh, he's also a running back. So when he says he wants a reasonable amount of money, well, a lot of teams might see a reasonable amount of money for a good running back at this point to be like $7 million a year. Dalvin Cook isn't going to see it that way, especially when he looks at Christian McCaffrey's deal. But here's the thing that is going to be very challenging for Dalvin Cook's camp is that he really has no leverage. And Brad OTC, who does some work for overthecap.com, which is a great resource for all of your salary cap and financial questions about NFL football team's player expenditures, cites a new clause in the CBA that really shoots Dalvin Cook in the foot in, in this regard, which is article 8 section 1B, James. A player shall not receive an accrued season for any league year in which the player is under contract to a club and in which he failed to report to the club's preseason training camp. So if if Cook just doesn't go to training camp, not to mention the regular season, he wouldn't accrue a season. He would be a restrictive free agent in 2020. That means that the Vikings could keep him for another year, which is probably like ideal case for the Vikings for... million, or if somebody wants to come sign him away on that first-round tender, well, now you owe the Vikings a first-round pick. He goes on to say that the Cook would presumably show up later in the year to earn a credited season, not an accrued season, which would avoid just his contract getting pushed one year into the future, but he would still be subject to RFA tenders. The Vikings would, as I just said, put a first- or second-round tender on him, may not even have to match an offer sheet, This is something that is terrible for players, especially running backs in the new CBA. It effectively makes holding out impossible. The threat of the holdout, as Brad points out, was one of the few leverage mechanisms players had at their disposal and now players on rookie contracts effectively can't do it without becoming RFAs. So this is why Joe Mixon was so fiercely opposed to the new CBA because he knew that he lost this tool. And it's a, a
1: huge development, and you're right. They don't have leverage. Joe Mixon is going to show up for training camp. He might skip all these virtual workouts and meetings and all this stuff. Well, that's fine, number 28. I'll see you soon. And the same thing goes for Dalvin Cook. And, and really, if I'm the Vikings, and I saw a report, and I don't know how true this is, but the Vikings reportedly offered Dalvin Cook $10 million per season. I think that's an overpay.
3: That's reasonable. I look at th-
1: Uh, And it is reasonable. Yeah. I I mean, and apparently uh, I saw ESPN reported that he would be willing to accept 13 million per year. Hey, Dalvin, where's the elite production? I get it. Last year was good. You had over 1600 yards from scrimmage, but you averaged four and a half yards a carry. You've been injury riddled in 2017 and 2018. And last year you only had 1100 yards. That's what Joe Mixon puts up. So if, if I don't think Joe is worth more than 10 million this year, why in the world would I look at a guy like Dalvin Cook, who has more injuries, isn't as talented, in my opinion, in is uh, is asking for 13 million per? I don't see this ending well for uh, for Cook, and I certainly expect him back at, at training camp. And if they really are offering him 10 million for either of these guys, I would take it, because the the fact that the players agreed to this really screws over rookies. I mean, that's just that's the reality of it. But if you're a running back you can't really afford to get uh, and wait another year or two. If Cook gets injured this year, is anyone going to give him a long-term deal? I don't think so. So if you're getting offered a long-term deal now, you should probably take it.
3: And I really do have a lot of sympathy for running backs in the NFL. We've talked about this on the podcast before. It sucks for them as players that their prime is really their rookie contract. And most of them don't work out after their rookie contract. And Well, you don't get paid very much on your rookie contract compared to second contracts in the NFL. It is something that long term, I think that it's going to be an issue, maybe in the next CBA. It's also hard for the players union to put a lot of emphasis on just one position when they represent all of the players equally. But I think that really these guys should be getting similar contracts. James, you look at their usage. Dalvin Cook gets a little bit more play in the passing game, but we've been saying for years that. Mixon should get more play in the passing game. The In the last year, for example, Cook had 63 targets, caught 53 of those passes. Mixon had 45 targets. He caught 35 of those passes. So there is some difference in production there. But in terms of like a yards per carry, in terms of rushing statistics, pretty similar. To Davin Cook's credit, he he has scored more touchdowns, which I don't think is something that running backs control very much. But he had 13 Mm -hmm. touchdowns rushing in 2019, whereas Joe Mixon has only 17 in his whole career.
1: And the big part and the big difference when I look at these two players, there's two things that stand out. One, I think Cook was maximized last year. I think he was really put in a position to succeed. And looking at Mixon's first three years in the NFL, I don't think anyone has said, and maybe you could say the last eight games of last year, but I don't think anyone has said, all right, the Bengals have – utilized Joe Mixon to the fullest and gotten the most out of him, right? We, we think there's some untapped potential there. I think most people would agree with that. And then the other is age. When you're talking about extensions here, and this isn't a Bengals issue, it, it's a, there's a year difference here. Dalvin Cook is going to be 25 in August. And you look at Joe Mixon, and I get it, it's only a year. It'll be 24 in July. But that's a big year, and that's an important year when you're talking about a three- or four-year extension And I'm on on record saying a four-year, $40 million extension for Mixon makes sense. I think it makes less sense for Dalvin Cook, a guy who's a year older and has had more injuries.
3: So we'll have to keep an eye on how that plays out in Minneapolis because I think that that will be pretty similar to what we see in Cincinnati for Joe Mixon. Coming up next, James, you are going to touch on some of the touching notes from some of Ken Riley's former teammates, some of the other Bengals legends that have met him, and Willie Anderson really starting to feel that desire that I think a lot of fans have for more recognition of their past stars from this Bengals team. There's a lot of praise for the 50th anniversary for some of the events that they've done recently. But Willie Anderson, I'm sure, is not alone. Especially when you count fans and wanting to see more from the Bengals in that area. Today's episode is brought to you by James' favorite protein bar, Built Bar. Yesterday, I went over to a friend's house, James, and they offered me a non built Bar protein bar as a little snack. And I looked at the macros on it, and it had 16 grams of sugar, which... <laughs> Is delicious, but if I'm trying to use a protein bar as a dietary supplement, Bilt Bar does a much better job of balancing that protein, sugar, fat mix while still tasting really good because they use real chocolate.
1: They do, and you're right. Delicious is a good word to describe Built Bars as well. And instead of the 16 grams of sugar or 20 grams of sugar, you're talking three grams of sugar with 18 to 20 grams of protein in most of the bars. They have a flavor for everyone, 16 different flavors. So whether you like coconut or you like mint or you like anything in between, they have something for you. Even German chocolate cake. I love that one as well. So make sure you go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code Locked On and you're going to get $10 off your first order. You're not going to regret it. So many of our listeners already have done it. If you haven't yet and you're trying to get that summer beach bod, do it by going to BuiltBar.com, promo code Locked On to get $10 off your first order.
2: This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different, and that's why Carvana invented a brand-new way for you to buy a car –
1: Let's keep things rolling here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine. Jake, away for this segment, uh, and that's okay. We'll do a little old-school Locked On Bengals. And it's something I'm pretty passionate about. I know I wrote about it uh, at allbengals.com, and a lot of you, I, I think, will agree with me here. The passing of Ken Riley was tragic. It was sudden. It was unexpected. A heart attack at the age of 72 By all accounts, he was in great shape. Former players that have seen him over the past couple of years said that the Rattler looked like he could still play on the outside because he just kept himself in great shape. And and you would expect nothing less from a guy who's played in 207 NFL games the most in Bengals history, 202 starts over 15 seasons. He's just a legend. And the problem is, and and I have a confession here, the the problem is I didn't know Jack Squat About Ken Riley until 2017. I'm a Cincinnati native. I consider myself a diehard Bengals fan, someone who grew up around the team, who paid attention to the team, even in the late 90s when they were awful and early 2000s when they were awful. I watched every game, but that wasn't my generation. So while I had heard about him, and known him and, and, and saw him, whether it was in the Freezer Bowl or, or different games like that, Super Bowl sixteen, which obviously is, is extremely accessible now. You can YouTube it and watch it. I didn't know much about the Rattler. And I learned so much more in 2017, whether he was uh, on with Dan Horton, Dave Lapham when he was in town, or the fact that he was in Paul Brown Stadium for the first time, maybe ever, but he was honored. And that's what I want to talk about today, because someone like Ken Riley, who was drafted in 1969, right, right? he was one of the original Bengals, and he ends up being one of the best Bengals ever, and he's this college quarterback that moves to corner and dominates, has 65 interceptions, forces a bunch of fumbles, averages nearly six turnovers forced per season during his career. He was great. And so I could come on here, and I think we all agree that he deserves to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The Bengals can't control that. What they can control is how they honor their legends. And so much of this offseason, we've spent talking about and addressing the national perception of the Bengals. Should Joe Burrow want to go to Cincinnati? How many dumb national talking heads said that? A lot, right? It's because they're ignorant. No, that doesn't mean stupid. They're ignorant. They literally don't know. A lot of these people do not know the Bengals' history. And part of that is the organization's fault. No ring of honor, no museum, no way of celebrating their legends. How many of those guys from the 80s are you familiar with if you're under 30 years old? Probably not many. If you're under 40 years old, you probably don't remember that 81 team well. You might know it because of Google and YouTube, but not because the Bengals have honored their legends the way they should. So, I'm not being critical of what they did in 2017. It was magnificent. But it should just be the start. The Bengals' history, you want to change the perception? Well, carry yourself like you have achieved, and they have. They had a winning record during the 80s in the playoffs. This is the same franchise that hasn't won a a playoff game in my lifetime. And yet they had a winning record in the playoffs. And they went to two Super Bowls. And they were extremely competitive year in and year out. They overcame the devastating Greg Cook injury. How many many franchises can do that? Well, they did. And they made it to a couple of Super Bowls. And so I look at this franchise and, yeah, they're going to have their ups and downs. But they haven't been extremely bad. And I mean really, really, really bad since the 90s and early 2000s, 2002. Last year, was the record awful? Yeah, but there were reasons behind it, right? You have a first-year head coach. You have a bunch of different injuries. There were things behind it. We could look at that team, and while it was extremely flawed and not good by any stretch, also wasn't a two-win team, right? On paper, that was not a two-win team, and they aren't this year. And so I think the way you change the perception, obviously you have to win. And a lot of you are going to say, I don't give a damn about the past. I just want to win in the future. Well, I'm with you. But it doesn't have to be one or the other. They should celebrate their stars. And I thought Willie Anderson was uh, extremely vocal. And I thought it was important that he was. On Twitter on Tuesday, he said, quote, sadly being quiet and humble doesn't work sometimes. I may get in trouble for saying this and not invited back. But man, the Bengals have to stand up and celebrate their past stars. It was one thing Ken Riley told me he prayed for. He said, I'm filled with sorrow. For one thing, because I only got to meet a man like Ken Riley one time, because we don't do events bringing our legends back to honor them. Man, this hurts my heart at 44 years old. I'll be 45 next month on the 11th. To know that a man that so many Bengals players, coaches, media members, and management say was a great man and fantastic player, he never got to see any nationwide acknowledgement or have anyone in Cincinnati appreciate his work. And I couldn't agree more. If you're in your 50s, you're thinking and listening to this and saying, of course I know who Ken Ratley is. I love the Rattler. And just as much as it's about educating the young fans, it's about you being able to stay in touch with the guys you watched growing up, the players that you, made you fall in love with the Bengals. That's what matters. 20 years from now, my generation, sure as hell better see Chad Johnson, 65 years old, dancing in the end zone at Paul Brown Stadium or whatever stadium the Bengals are playing in in downtown Cincinnati then. That's what should happen. And a way to do that is a ring of honor. I wrote about a, a museum as well, a museum idea I had. And I, I think the Reds Hall of Fame has done a, a great job of really commemorating the, the Reds history. And you could say, well, it's the the oldest baseball team in the major leagues, they have a bunch of World Series titles and the list goes on and on and on and on. It really doesn't matter because as a fan, and it matters, but that doesn't have to be. like The Bengals don't have to wait to win multiple Super Bowls before they celebrate their past. As a fan, you're not proud of Chad Johnson, T.J. Hushmanzada, Willie Anderson, Andrew Whitworth. What about A.J. Green or Geno Atkins, right? Most of those guys, if not all those guys, probably all of them, would deserve to be in a, a ring of honor, certainly most of them, as would Ken Riley, as would Ken Anderson, as would Willie Anderson. And so the reality is the Bengals can't control the Pro Football Hall of Fame and, and the, the perception of them nationally to an extent. But what they can control is how they honor their own, how they treat their own. And a guy as good as Ken Riley should have gotten more acknowledgement. When he was alive, he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But even without that, he should have been brought back more. He was a football coach at Florida A&M. You don't think he had something to offer some of these defensive backs? You don't think he could have helped Dre Kirkpatrick just a little bit? And I don't mean work with him a ton, but be around the team once or twice a year and just to chat with them and, and do things like that. That matters. Right? Isn't it cool when you hear that Ken Anderson talk with Joe Burrow? Like, that's really cool, right? It's no different for a corner. It's no different for running backs. It's no different for any of these guys. So when I look at the Bengals' history, you're right. It doesn't have a Super Bowl, right? They've never won a Super Bowl, two Super Bowl appearances. They had four straight losing seasons. Man, that doesn't mean you can't celebrate your past. You can be really good at that. And, and, and I know some are going to say, well, it's going to cost Mike Brown money. Maybe. Maybe it would cost you know a ring of honor would cost some money. You gotta bring the players in and stuff like that. But it would also make them money. Because fans are going to be more willing to pay money to go see your brand of football, to buy your merchandise if you're celebrating the past and showing them how proud you are to be a part of Cincinnati and how proud you are that the Bengals are are where they are, in what they've accomplished as an organization. That matters. That matters if you're 4-12 and 12 or you're 12-4. and 4. I went to Lambeau. I went to, to, to Green Bay uh, back in, it was 2015, and I watched Packers-Rams. Not for any reason. That's when Nick Foles was starting for the Rams and the Packers won. But, but the most memorable part of the, the trip really wasn't the game itself. It was touring Lambeau and then going to their museum. And yeah, the, the Super Bowl trophies were great, right? That, that was really cool seeing those. But there were so many cool things, so many displays. And, and I think about a Bengals museum, and this is what I picture. And these are just a couple of ideas. And you could tweet me your ideas as well, at Lockdown Bengals or at James Rapine. But I, I see a, a virtual area where kids could get a dance lesson from Chad Johnson. I see a commemorative display with quotes and, and maybe virtual discussions or, or, or even a, a screen in, in, a, in a short video of the Freezer Bowl commemorating the Bengals' victory over the Chargers at Riverfront Stadium in minus 59-degree weather with the wind chill, as they advance to their first Super Bowl in team history. I think of those things. Those are the things. So it's not just one generation or another generation. It's all of them in the the things that, you know, a a display honoring Corey Dillon for his 278-yard rushing day against the Denver Broncos in 2000, a game I was at with my dad. My Lord, what a game that was. I was nine years old, and it's a game we'll never forget. I know I'll never forget it. I think we got free tickets Ended up going. We didn't have money for for Bengals tickets or NFL, but we got free tickets somehow. Maybe my dad got them from a a friend or or work and they couldn't go. And they ended up being decent tickets on the 50-yard line and we go. And they were obviously bad then. And CD and that offensive line pushed those boys around, man. It was so much fun. And, And so those are the things. Celebrate those things. Because if you do that, I think the whole perception, of the Cincinnati Bengals organization, both in Cincinnati and certainly among the fan base, and even more than that nationally, it is going to become more recognizable. People are going to know about the history more, and they can make an informed decision instead of reacting to a couple of down years, which has happened recently. Right, it, that's what happens, and they it, people can't get in their head that the '90s were the '90s, and that the Bengals are different. In the moment that they slip up, they go back into, oh, uh, the same old bungles. Well, not really. If you cut out the the '90s, Bengals have been pretty solid, right? They've been pretty good in the 2000s. Not great, but they've been pretty good from 2003 to 2020. They have. So to me. I think celebrating your past, being proud of it, like Willie Anderson said, one, it's going to make your former players happy, the fan base will love it, and it's going to help everyone involved. Here's the hoping it happens. That's going to do it for the Locked On Bengals podcast. For Jake Lisko, I'm James Erpine, and I'm going to do his famous sign-off, day," and have a good one.